Lord. Amen. Amen. Man, image and glory of God. Man, strong and courageous. Man, maximize your potential. Amen. Once again, I bring you greetings from the throne room of God. It is a pleasure once again to be here. Last, last night, the district pastor called me and he gave me a theme that he wants me to speak on today. And that theme is, it's a long one, it's a rather long one, so we try to break it down. It says, equipped to disciple the next generation as warriors to possess the nation. It's there on the board. Equipped to disciple. It's not, okay, it's disciple. So more to do with discipline. This is discipline, so we can check. Anyway, disciple is also to do with discipline. So if you are, you are, if you are a disciple, you have to be disciplined also. So every mistake is a new style. So equipped to disciple the next generation as warriors to possess the nation. So as this generation passes away, as our generation passes away, the first generation that was the, the chairman, the, the founder, and then Pastor Pintil, Apostle Pintil, and the rest of them, Apostle Nate, they are gone. And then came our generation. So we passed away, and there's also the next generation, the generation Z and the millennium. Those are the future of the church. So he wants us to speak about it on the theme, being equipped to disciple the next generation as warriors to possess the nation. So we take our test, uh, Psalm 78, verse 1 to 11. Can we project it on the board, please? It says, we can read along. It says, give ear, O my people, to my law. When you, when you see law, it means the word of God. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth, too. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old. Three, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling the, next, telling the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children, sex, that the generation to come might know them. So it is like one generation receives it and we pass it on to the next generation. The children who will be born that they may arise and declare them to their children also. Seven, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and may, and may not be like their fathers. That means our fathers made some errors. Some of the mistakes that our fathers made, that they, they don't want us to repeat those mistakes. That is why they gave us this psalm, Psalm 78, that 
the, the mistakes that our fathers have made, even including Church of Pentecost, when they started, we have had so many things change over time, including even some of our doctrines. Verse 8, it says, And may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright. That means their heart was not committed to God and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Number nine, the children of Ephraim, one of the sons of Jacob, being armed and carrying bows, turned back in the day of battle. They did not keep the covenant of God. They refused to walk in his ways, in his law. That means they did not obey God's command. Number 11, and they forgot his works and his wonders that he had shown them. So this generation did not tell the next generation the wonders that God had done for them. How God opened the Red Sea for them to pass through. How God rained manna from heaven when they were, when they were hungry in the wilderness. How when they were thirsty, God caused water to come from rock. So all these things, they did not tell the next generation. So they do not want us, this generation, to also repeat those same mistakes. So all the miracles that we witness in our midst, we are supposed to pass it on to the next generation. This generation Z, or the generation, the millennial generation, because they come a time, they, they are being buffeted here and there. They may not even believe in the miracles of God. And there will come a time that the church of Pentecost, as, as we see it, and not only the church of Pentecost, will not be anywhere near the church that our forefathers left for us. So this psalm has been given to us to remind us of some of the errors that they made. So we are, we're going to use this psalm to build on what discipleship is all about. So this is just to give you an idea that our forefathers, they made an error. They did not follow the Lord wholeheartedly. Some of, sometimes they did not even obey his commands. They didn't keep his covenant. There was no commitment. And even if, if you continue, it's a long psalm. It's, it's a very long psalm. When you go home and you have time, you can continue reading it. It, it tells you some of the miracles that the Lord did and they failed to carry it on to the next generation. So, that's so far for, big, for introduction. So here we say that every believer is expected to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. Every believer. Once you become a believer, you are supposed to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. And uh, discipling, this discipleship is not limited to a selected group of people. So when we talk about discipleship, sometimes we think that it is limited to a selected group of people. But it's not limited to anybody. Every believer here, all and sundry, you and I, everyone, is a disciple. It is not optional. It is a requirement of all who profess faith in Christ Jesus. To become a disciple of Jesus Christ, 
It's not optional. It's not like, oh, I like it, I can be a disciple. I don't like it. It's not optional. It is a requirement. Why? Because let's look at Matthew chapter 28. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Jesus, before he, when he rose from the dead, before he went to heaven, this is what he told his followers. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the days. Jesus says all authority, authority in heaven, authority on earth, authority under the earth, marine powers, everything, authority that Jesus had, he said, I'm giving it to you. Praise God. The reason he's giving them to us is that he wants us to go everywhere, every corner of the globe, and make disciples. What was the purpose behind such a move? that they might carry on with the work he began. The process of disciple making. The reason why Jesus gave you and I all the authority that God had vested in him to heal the sick, to heal the blind and all that, cast out demons. Jesus gave that authority to you and I so that we can also continue with the work that Jesus had started. He says, and these signs will follow those who will believe. In my name, you cast out demons. You heal the sick. You pick up serpents and they will not harm you. And you will speak in new language, in new tongue. So that authority has been given to us. So even as you sit here, you have power. You have authority that heaven has bestowed upon you. And the only reason why God gave you that authority is that you can continue from where Jesus left off. Praise God. So when we say that a disciple, who is a disciple? A disciple basically is somebody who is a follower or somebody who is a learner. He's learning something so that that person will in turn go and teach somebody else. That is basically who a disciple is. A learner who accepts and spreads a doctrine of another. So we are all disciples. We have accepted the Christian faith and we are supposed to go and spread that Christian faith. So the disciple was not merely a learner in the sense of a student. You are not just a student. He was to be a disciplined person in the lifestyle. So if you are a disciple, that means your lifestyle too, you must be disciplined. That is why when I saw that discipline, I said, oh, he can let it be there. Because to be a disciple means you must to be a disciplined person. Your lifestyle, you have to be a disciplined lifestyle. That you will follow your master. Your, the lifestyle of your master. Hallelujah. As Jesus took his disciples with him to teach them. Both by his words and by his example. Because some people will say, oh, do what I say, but don't do what I do. That is not discipleship. Discipleship means you are following after the lifestyle of your master. So if you are a leader, a father, 
your children want you want your children to follow you to learn from you then your lifestyle must also be what replicated by them so to be a disciple that it does not just mean that you are a student you are not just a mere student you are also to follow the lifestyle you must be a disciplined person and then the purpose behind discipleship what is the purpose behind discipleship to help christians live out their faith that they can share the gospel with others and eventually disciple those people as well so the the purpose of discipleship is to to for me to disciple you and you to disciple others so it's a progression thing i disciple you you disciple others so it is like multiplication amen and the goal of discipleship number 1 so that we become spiritually what matured let's say spiritually matured oh, i cannot hear you i don't feel you spiritually matured let's say it again spiritually yeah so when you are our, our new britain brothers they what do they have are they are we okay okay so spiritually we are you, the goal of discipleship is to make you to become what spiritually matured so that you don't remain a spiritual baby where you are you suppose like you go to school you graduate from class 1 you go to class 2 from kg then you go to elementary primary elementary and middle school so number 1 the goal of discipleship is for you to become spiritually matured one number 2 so that you will become more like Christ Jesus. Amen. You want to be like Christ Jesus. And then number 3, you want to be also become a committed reproducer. You are also going to reproduce other other, other disciples. So the, the the goal is threefold. Number 1, you want to become spiritually matured. That's why we disciple our, our people. You can write that text down. Colossians chapter 1 verse 28. You can write it down. Spiritually you become mature, spiritual maturity. So that you can attain spiritual maturity. Number 2, the goal of discipleship is to make you more like Christ Jesus, Christ likeness, so that Christ will be formed in you. You can write that scripture down to Galatians chapter 4 verse 19. Paul said, "My dear children, for whom i am again in pain of a childbirth until christ is formed in you amen galatians 4:19 he says paul says i'm i'm in pain like a woman in labor any any woman in labor here the women who have been in labor you know how painful it is paul has not been in labor before but he says but maybe he has gone to the maternity ward and he has seen how people are laboring and he know it's not an easy joke he says i am in pain like a woman in labor until christ jesus is formed in you amen because when christ jesus is formed in the members the work of the spirit i mean the presiding elder will be easy the work of the fathers will be will be easy hallelujah that is why he says i will not stop until you attain christ likeness amen and then the third goal of, goal of uh of a discipleship is to for you also to become a committed 
reproducer. That one is 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Paul is telling Timothy, And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses and trust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So the things that Paul is telling Timothy, that Timothy, I am, you, you are my disciple. I'm mentoring you. There's a difference between discipleship and mentorship. That is a, a debate that the millennial and the Gen, Gen Z, you can take it up. You can write that message. What is the difference between discipleship and then the mentorship? So for Paul, he was discipling as well as mentoring Timothy. So he says, the things that Timothy, you have heard me say, you must also commit it to other people, reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So it is like multiplication. We're reproducing. I tell you, you tell others, and others will tell others, and the other will tell others. Praise God. So that is, the, that is discipleship, the goal of it. But there is a cost of being a disciple also. The cost of this discipleship, number one, being a disciple, you have to be motivated. You have to be a motivated believer. Because in John chapter 6, Jesus fed some people, a whole bunch of them, about 5,000 of them. Jesus was not content with mere outward profession of faith. Jesus was not satisfied to say, oh, I'm a church of Pentecost believer. I'm PIWC. I am, I am elder. I am this. No. Jesus was not satisfied with that. At the height of his popularity, he rebuked many of the would-be disciples for following him for all the wrong reasons. See, some people come to church for all the wrong reasons. Somebody, somebody come to church because they want a woman. Somebody want to come to church because Church of Pentecost, they know Church of Pentecost, our women, we, you know, they are very, very, very holy. Amen. Oh, can we have some, the women clap for that? That is why you have somebody from Roman Catholic, you want to find a woman, you say you want to go to Church of Pentecost. So, I mean, they come to find a woman. Somebody also, they want a job, so they come to God. Somebody also, they are sick, so they come to God. So they have come, we have come to the Lord for all various reasons. Some people flock to Jesus because of the miracles that they saw Jesus do. Jesus multiplied food, you know, 5,000 people were fed. So the next day they went there. They want some more because they are hungry people. And Jesus said, oh, you be people, because you saw me feed, feed you the other day, you have come for more. It's not all about the food. But some, if Jesus had been any other preacher who was looking for popularity, he would, he would welcome them. But Jesus said, no, you have to eat my body. It's not just the bread I gave you. And when Jesus heard that, this, man, this one take his way, the other one take their way. And before long, most of them, they were gone. The crowd has become small. Many preachers today, they are looking for messages to fill the pulpit, to fill the auditorium. That's why when you look around so many churches like today, some churches, they have 40,000 mega churches. But what is the, the content of the believers over there? Praise God. Some flock there because he had, they see the miracles. 
and the diseases that he has cast. After he had fed 5,000, that is in John chapter 6, verse 9 to 15, they flocked to him for the meat that he could provide. Unlike those who followed Jesus for the wrong reasons, the true believers or the true disciples acknowledged him as master and Lord. And then they submitted to his lordship. Praise God. It's not just about the material things, the physical things, but you submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. That's why we say, Oh, to Jesus I surrender all to him I free. Oh, I will ever Try to again all to Jesus. Ah, you surrender everything your body, your soul, your spirit, your possessions. Oh, free my free. The need for true disciples. And then the crowd became very thin. Sometimes he will ask them, do you also want to go? They say, Lord, where do we go? You have the eternal words where that will take us to heaven. We have heard it and we have believed it. Praise God. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all other things shall be added unto you. Because you see, some, some, so many churches today, we are talking about mistakes that people have made. That is why we don't want this new generation, we don't want to pass it on to the new generation. Some, 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 some preach easy believism. And believe, they will preach anything but purity or unrighteousness. Praise God. You see, we want, they want comfort so badly that we have failed to repent they, to repent of their sins and they commit themselves to Christ's authority and lordship. So some podiums, some churches, they don't, they don't talk about holiness. They don't talk about righteousness. It's all about the numbers, numbers, numbers. How many souls? Souls won. Statistics. But what about the purity? What about the quality of the believers therein? Praise God. Some churches and denominations have placed undue emphasis on the outward successes. Numbers, it's all about, somebody say numbers. And, and, and affluence. How many well-to-do people are within? How many millionaires are within? 
and substituted them for real spirituality. You know, for purity and righteousness and spiritual wisdom and love and the spirit's power manifested among the people. They don't, they don't highlight that. That the Holy Spirit is manifested and the operations of the manifestations of the giftings of the Holy Spirit. People are being baptized by the Holy Spirit and the laying of hands and the, the eyes, the, the blind are seeing, the lame are walking. People don't highlight that. They're talking all is about the numbers. The numbers. They say, oh wow, what a ministry is growing. But what about the quality of the people? Jesus was more concerned with that. That is why you people came to me because of the food, because of your belly. You want to be bellyful, but you don't want to hear the message that will take you to heaven. Hallelujah. So, and then the other one too we are missing is commitment. Many Christians endure a roller coaster relationship, Christian experience. By roller coaster Christian experience, I mean today you are up, tomorrow you are down. Today you, it's like a seesaw, up and down, seesaw, up and down. They go, they go through a period of disinterest and coldness and defeat. Sometimes they come to church, they are high, they are high, oh hallelujah, praise God. Another time they come, they are so cold, they are so withdrawn. It's like one end to the end. They are, you know, swinging from one side to, it's a roller coaster. What is missing is the commitment. Somebody say commitment. So we need commitment. We need to be committed. We need that fire from God. Yesterday, last week we talked about the fire of God. I pray that the fire of God will bring some energy to us. Whether you have it or not, you are always on fire for the Lord. Praise God. So now we look at some of the characteristics of a genuine, a genuine uh, disciple. Some of the characteristics. Now, what the first one I have here is Christ-centered love, a love that is based upon Christ Jesus. Because, see, to follow Christ Jesus, there is a cost of discipleship. Jesus said something in Luke chapter fourteen, verse twenty. Says he says, "If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother and wife." And children, I know it's a very difficult thing to do because I know you love your wife. I know Mr. Poku loves uh, my sister Vic, and I know the presiding elder also loves the wife. So Jesus is saying, if anyone it comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Take one minute to think about that. You say you must hate your father, you must hate your mother, you must hate your wife, you must hate your, 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 your husband, even your own children. You love your children. We do. And our grandchildren too. It says even your own life. So that Christ becomes preeminent in all your life. All you need is what? Christ Jesus. So it's not easy. Such love is characterized by obedience to his commandments and deep devotion. That's the Christ-centered love that we're talking about. That is what is, is based upon obedience 
being obedient to Christ Jesus and his commandments, and a deep devotion. By that we mean, Jesus continued by saying, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. If you love Jesus, follow his commandments. It's very simple as that. If he say, don't commit adultery, don't commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not steal. Don't go and beat your wife, don't go and beat your wife. He said, if you love me, then follow my commandments. Hallelujah. And I too will love them and show myself to them. Amen. Amen. Jesus continues to say, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them and will come to them and make our home with them. If you love me, my father in heaven will also love you. And my father in heaven will come and dwell in your house. These words we hear are not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. Oh, glory be to the Lord. That is John chapter 14, verse 21 to 23. Jesus said, if you, if you love me, obey my commandments. That is all. So the, the first thing is, it's a Christ-centered love. That is a measure of true discipleship. Number two is compassion for one another. By compassion, you can substitute love. You have to have love. You have to have compassion for one another. So that Jesus said, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So must you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. If you love one another, then the world will know that you are my disciple. But if you are fighting with one another in this same church, in the small number that we are, and then we go to outside world and tell them that you are the disciple of Christ Jesus Christ, Jesus is saying we are deceiving ourselves. So he's giving us this as a yardstick, as a measure that we can look to judge ourselves. You have to have compassion for one another. We have to love one another. We have to bear one and each other's burden. Praise God. You have to be our brother's keeper. These are things that he wants us to tell the next generation. So that love will continue to abide in the house of God. Number three, we have to continue in the word of God. A true disciple you must, Jesus said, abide in me. And I will also abide in you. If, you. if you remember the Psalm 78 that we read, it says, He declared his statutes for Jacob and he established the law in Israel, which he commanded his ancestors to teach their children. Jesus, or God, wants us to teach our children the law. So this is like a legacy. If you are dying and you don't have anything, you don't have big stock option to give your children, you don't have big estate to give your children, one thing you can give them is the word of God. It's a legacy. Praise God. And that is why teaching our children the godly principles and the precepts of God, of God's words, is not optional. It's not optional. We have to teach our children the godly principles and the things that are taught in the word of God. It's not optional. It is a commandment that God has given his people. What God has commanded us to do, God himself will give us the grace to do it. Amen. So teaching your children is not optional. 
It is a command. Do you know why? Let us put Deuteronomy chapter 6 on the board. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7. These commandments, God is telling the Israelites, these commandments that I give you today, they are to be on your heart. Write them on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. At the dinner table, when you and your children sit at home, it's not about talking about soap opera. Talk about the word of God. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up to bed. Praise God. Just imagine how that, that Christian home will be. It's all about God. When they sit at the dining table to talk, to eat, they are talking about God. When they are watching TV, they are talking about God. But if you go to some families, it's chaos. The father is cursing the mother, the mother is cursing the father, and the children are confused. They are running for cover because they don't feel comfortable. Madma and father, they are fighting. They are teaching the truth. But a home like this, you say, I'm giving you this commandment, teach your children. It's not... If you like it, do it. Then he said, impress it upon the, your children. Impress it. Did, did they say that? You shall teach diligently to your children. That is the same way. This is New King James. The NIV say, impress it on your children. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home. And when you walk along the road, when you are walking, you are like you are jogging. Talk about them. When you lie down before you go to sleep, Talk about the word of God. When you get up early in the morning, you shall rise up in the morning. Talk about them. Hallelujah. Early in the morning. Early in the morning. Early in the morning. I will rise and praise the Lord. That song behind my window, he was waiting for somebody that they would go to church together. And then he was bringing me back memories when I was yet a baby. That is why you have to train your children the way they should grow. But when they grow, because these children in the millennials and the Generation Z, they, fa they face a lot of challenges. I have been there. But they didn't give up on us. My mother managed to get me. I don't know how he, she managed to get me to go to Kwame Krum. Uh, that time, my brother, Apostle Entry of blessed memory, he was then an overseer. Over there, Volta region. We started early in the morning. You take car to Ohoi, you take another one, you take. When we get there, it was late, late, late at night. They were having a crusade. That time, Apostle, the chairman, he was also an overseer. But the chairman, Opokuina, he was then the, the area head, based in, base in Ho. So they had all come to Kwame Krum because my brother was hosting that crusade. And so my mother told me, oh, why don't you accompany your, your, your brother? He's going to be baptizing some folks because the convention, they have had so many converts. So my brother was going to baptize them. So I should go. I said, oh, that's cool. I mean, I can accompany my brother. So I stood by the water side. She was baptizing. He will baptize this one. He will baptize this one. In the process of time, he finished baptizing everybody. So he left me and my mother and my brother. So my mother told me, but why don't you let your brother also baptize you? I said, wow, this woman, she used some technique. Before long, I was in that river. <laughs> oh, somebody give a clap of it to Jesus. And today I'm standing here. Praise God. So don't give up on your children. 
give up on your children. Because when I came from Russia, I live in Accra. I go to Wet Wato. I will go to Trip uh, Metropole. I will go to Tipto. I'll go to wherever, wherever that spirit in me was telling me to go. I go to Kumasi, it's the same thing. Hotel the Kingsway, the Steinard Club. You tell me, I've been there all. Hotel, the city hotel, now they say they call it a Golden Tulip. I've been through all. There's nothing that, no corner you can show me in Accra and in Kumasi that I don't know, including the Lungu Lungu, the backways and the alleys. I know it all. But our mothers had sown something in us. Praise God. And that thing will never, will never, never diminish. So the, the purpose of parental instruction is to teach their children to fear the Lord. Somebody say to fear the Lord. Number two, to walk in the ways of the Lord. To walk in and to love and to appreciate him. And to serve him. Four things that we just read, that we have to train, godly training of children should be foremost concern of any parent. You shouldn't leave it to the church. You shouldn't leave it for the school. It starts at home. Charity begins at home. Don't expect the presiding elder to come here and train your child for you. It starts at home. So you train your child. Don't expect the teacher, high school teacher, to go and train your child. It starts from home. So that when they go to school and the teacher is telling them something that is contradictory to what they had already been... Sometimes they challenge the teacher. They will challenge the teacher. Now, this is not what I know. Praise God. So it is very, 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 very important. So we don't have to be like our forefathers who, who their heart was not committed to God. I'm bringing my message to a close pretty soon. And then the fourth characteristic is what? A consistent prayer life and interceding for one another. That is one characteristic of a disciple. You have to have a consistent prayer life. Jesus taught his disciples that commitment to prayer was essential if they were to have victory over the weakness of the flesh. The flesh is weak. You face a lot of temptations. But if you are going to overcome the temptations of the flesh, then you have to pray. That's why Jesus said, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Matthew chapter 26, verse 41. And Paul also said the same thing. He says, and, I, and pray in the spirit. That is one of the armor, armor that we have to put on. Pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayer and request. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying. Keep on praying all the time. When you read Bible, um, John chapter 17, Jesus gave us a model. He was praying for, the, for his disciples even as he was about to be taken into heaven. Jesus has given us that as a model so that we can pr pray, intercede for one another. Hallelujah. And then the fifth characteristic of a true disciple is that you should choose the cross. Christ's disciples are to expect suffering. As a disciple of Jesus Christ, it's not bread and butter. Some churches, they will say, oh, come to Jesus, everything is rosary. That is not all the gospel is about. The whole gospel is that 
as a disciple of Jesus, you have to anticipate, you have to expect suffering, and you also have even to anticipate it. And then what is more, you have also even to glory, even in the suffering. So that you know it's not me speaking. Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Take up your cross. You have your cross, I have my cross. Your cross could be your marriage. Your cross could be something that is buffeting you, a disease, something. You have your cross. Take that cross and follow him. That is your cross. You're supposed to anticipate the suffering and follow him. And then Paul also said, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. I'd like him to put 2 Timothy 3.12 because I'm almost finishing. 2 Timothy 3.12. 2 Timothy 3.12, the Bible says, anyone, if you want to live a godly life, you have to anticipate that you'll be persecuted. You are not going to take it easy. Christianity is not bread and butter. Yes, all who desire to live godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. So help you God. I pray that God will give you the grace to be able to endure that suffering. Amen. And Peter also said, in 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13, on this same topic, he says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal, the, the suffering that you are going, to, that has come on you and to test you, as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ, so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Amen. He says, you, you, you participate in the suffering of Jesus Christ. Don't think that, oh, as for me, oh, as for me. He said, no, it's not a big deal. It's common to everybody. As a Christian, expect it. That is what he's saying. He says, dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you. Sometimes you say, oh, as for me, oh, God, why? God, why me? God, God said, no. Not you alone, you are suffering. Other people too are suffering. And as if something strange were happening to you. But rejoice. Let's say, say rejoice. Oh, he didn't like that. He says rejoice to the extent that you partake in Christ's suffering. Because Jesus Christ that we are following, he suffered. They whip him. They strip him naked. You've seen the pictures. Oh, when, they, when he was hung on the tree, he didn't even have nothing but naked. They beat him. They strip him naked. That when his glory is revealed, oh, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Hallelujah. So, beloved, this is what I, I have received from the Lord. As we prepare to equip this next generation, you have to be sure that we pass on these truths about the Bible, the scripture, Quickly, let's, let's, let's go through the characteristics, the things that we're supposed to do, and then see if we can uh, remember them. Some of the characteristics that, that we have talked about, because I'm, I'm done. I just want us to just do a recap. Who can remember, remind me the characteristics of a, a genuine a disciple? I talk about a Christ, centered 
love. One. Somebody can tell me the second one. Compassion for one another. Why are we supposed to have compassion for one another? We're supposed to love one another. Because you say you love God. You don't see God. But your brother that you are seeing, you don't love him. How can that be? That is what the Bible is all about. You say you, say you love God. I love you, Lord. And I will be... No, you don't see him and you love him. The one who is seated next to you, you don't even love him. Can that be? It can be. Don't deceive yourself. The person seated in you, you can see God in him. He has also, she has also been created in the image of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, presiding elder. So what else? First one is Christ-centered love. Second one is compassion for one another. What is the third one? We have to intercede for one another. You pray for me, I pray for you. I lose my job, you pray for me. You are in trouble, I also pray for you. What about the, 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 the fourth one? You have to be in the word of God. Let the word of God, Paul said, let the, Colossians chapter 1 verse 28, he said, let the word of God dwell abundantly in you. Abundantly, not just, so you have to meditate upon it day and night. In the morning, you meditate upon it. That is why Moses told Joshua, God told Moses to tell Joshua, he says, this book of the law should not depart from your mouth. Meditate upon it day and night. Do not depart from it to the left, nor depart from it to the right. He says, but if you do that, whatever you do, you shall be successful. Praise God. Let's give glory to the name of the Most High God. So we have talked about, we've talked about the love, Christ-centered love. We've talked about the compassion. We have talked about intercession, interceding for one another. What about the, the, the other ones? What else did we talk about? The Word of God. We talk about the Word of God too. So I believe that we have exhausted all. So we want to give glory, and then also the cross. The cross. We have to. When we are going to follow Jesus Christ, it's not going to be easy. So we are going to pray. Let's be on our feet. We are going to lift up our hands towards heaven. And we are going to pray. He says, if anyone wants to follow Jesus, you have to take up 